0: Reading Psalm eighty six verses fourteen to seventeen. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you, just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And then from Luke chapter six, we're reading verses 27 to 38. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. Amen. and Thanks be to God for his word.
1: Let's pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. So cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we look to this passage in Luke in the Sermon on the Plain, we started this last week, Jesus' special teaching to his disciples. I want to give you a key verse, and it's this. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It picks up perhaps on Psalm 86, that Elaine read for us, which talked about God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And if we want to know what a merciful God looks like, then we look to Jesus. I said last week that we might want to read the Gospel of Luke through Lent. And if you haven't done that, I would invite you to do that in the coming days. As you read the gospel stories, you find Jesus meeting people in in so many familiar passages. Zacchaeus, or the Roman centurion, or the woman caught in adultery, or the crowd that put him on a cross, or the thief on a cross, or the failed disciples. And in each of these encounters, you find Jesus meeting with people who have no claim on him. People who have done so much that is wrong, have failed in so many ways. And yet he meets them with love and with gentleness. To be merciful is to treat people like that, with all the love of Jesus. The problem I find as I read these passages is in in some ways they condemn me because as I look at how Jesus treated people and then I, I look at how I treat people, it just doesn't measure up, does it? We squabble, we fight, we nurse grievances, we do good when it suits us, and we limit our generosity. And that's just how we treat our families. How do we treat people who really don't deserve it? And so you can read the gospel stories and you look at how Jesus treated people and you think, well, I'm just hopeless and inadequate and condemned because I can't do any of that. But then the gospel invites us to look at the same story and see something else because the people that Jesus showed mercy to were hopeless and vulnerable and failing, just like me. And so the gospel comes and it touches us again as we realize that the love is for people like us, the failed disciples, the welcome. It's for people like us who are the least likely to be accepted. The forgiveness is offered to people like us who have so little to offer, and he dies for people like us who don't deserve it. Be merciful just as your father is merciful it isn't just an instruction, but comes with a tremendous promise that as we fail, God is merciful. Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain, we started last week, and I said it was a completely upside down way of living that Jesus was teaching. And as we go on and look at this passage, we find this again. Jesus looks at a set of relationships. Now, he's not talking here about the relationships we have with our family or our friends or even our church relationships, he's starting at the opposite end of the scale. He's starting with people who we might call enemies, people who hate us, people who curse us, people who mistreat us, people who slap us. And in our world today, there is so many relationships that are poisoned by animosity, feuds, that can go on for generations in families, or in races, or in class, or in political groups. Real hatred that can develop. For the early readers of this gospel, it it would have been, as they tried to work out what it was to live as Christians, and knowing the occupation and oppression of Rome, knowing the rejection that they found in the hands of the Jews in the synagogues, they would have been able to identify with this very much. People who put us down, people who mistreat us. It's interesting here that the last of these, the, 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 the one who slaps you on a cheek, But in context, that's not just an assault. Somebody hits you and you want to hit them back. It's actually somebody saying, you are not welcome. You find this slap on the cheek in the book of Acts and it's really saying, you don't belong. You are an outcast. We want nothing to do with you. Enemies. But enemies can sometimes come close to home. There's a a lovely story of Winston Churchill who was introducing a new MP to the House of Commons and the new MP looked at the labour benches opposite and said, that's the enemy. And Churchill said, no, that's the opposition. The enemy are the folk on your own party's benches behind you. And sometimes our enemies are closer to home. In the sense that quite often we have temporary enemies. People that we have fallen out with. People that we feel don't like us, don't respect us. They curse us. They say things about us. They don't give us the respect that we are due. People who exclude us, people who ignore us, people who make us feel unwanted. And sometimes those enemies, even temporarily, are members of our own family, or, or members of our, our neighborhood, or even people in the church, where right that moment we feel that they are cursing us, hating us, mistreating us, and we are really, really angry. What's the reaction? Our reaction is to hit back. Our reaction is to shout, you can't treat me like that. I'm not going to put up with that. I don't have to be treated like that. And all of us have found ourselves in those sort of situations on a fairly regular basis. I tell you, as a minister, I've not been here long enough for it to happen, but over the years, the number of times I've had folk come in a church, people who are, uh, normally get on, and they come and they say, this has been said about me, this is the way I've treated, and I feel really angry. Our temptation? Put the other person away. Block them. Avoid them. I'm not going to let them hurt me again. I'm not going to work with them again. I'm not going to put myself in that situation of being vulnerable again. And so often that's what happens. I know in a church that where people come to me often quite angry about the way that they felt they've been treated. And they've often got a point they have been treated in ways that we wouldn't want them to be treated in a church. The trouble, though, is that the focus starts on me, on my pride, that I've been inconvenienced, that I shouldn't have been treated like that. What's Jesus suggesting here? He's suggesting that his followers, his disciples, in this upside-down kingdom have to respond differently when they are wronged. Love. Do good. Bless. Pray for. Turn the other cheek. It's, it's very practical, this. We are bound by love. God has loved us, and so we have to love other people, and that doesn't mean loving people when it's easy. That means loving people when it's hard, either people who are hard to love or loving people in situations where at that time it seems really difficult to love them. And what is love like? Love is active. It isn't just a feeling that we have inside. It's something that we do, that we act out. Do good to those that aren't doing good to you. Bless them. Don't curse them. And practically, that means don't say bad things about them. But actually want in your heart, desire in your heart that they be blessed that they be made whole, and pray for them. I do think that when we are feeling really angry at somebody, the strongest thing we can do is pray for them. It doesn't mean that we don't see the wrong that they're doing anymore, but it means as we respond to it, what we want most is not our honour and our convenience and our respect, but we actually want them to be transformed, to be set free from whatever it is, that's caused them to act that way. I want good for them. I want to bless them because I know the love of my father and I want them to know it too. And turning the other cheek is is, is very practical as well. It doesn't actually mean always getting assaulted, but it means this. It means not escalating whatever it is. So many Fights and feuds start that way, don't they? One person does something wrong and the other person responds by saying nasty things about them. The whole thing begins to escalate. Be peacemakers that begin to put things right. If somebody excludes you, don't write them off and exclude them. What are the motives for acting in this Jesus pattern of love, of doing good, of blessing, of praying for Well, to start with, they're about de-escalating, about being peacemakers. But they might also do something beyond that. They begin to break the chain of tit for tat, of wrong for wrong, of bad feeling, creating bad feeling and creating division. We can think of great examples of this, can't we, at the extremes of Nelson Mandela refusing to hate his jailers and bringing reconciliation in South Africa. Or we can think of Gordon Wilson, whose daughter was killed by the IRA, who refused to hate and instead met them with forgiveness. Or perhaps it's a technique to win people over, to show them love that they might change. But for Christians, there's a greater reason we act mercifully. Because our Father is merciful. Because that's the way God treats us. There's a second group of people that Jesus speaks about in this passage. He speaks about someone taking your coat and not withholding your shirt, or someone who asks you for something um, and says, Give it to them. What's this all about? Well, the, the first image that comes to mind when it says, "If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt," is someone actually stealing from you—a a thief that takes one thing and you should give them another thing. But I don't think that's quite what it means, because it ends with, "Do not do to others as you would have them do to you." So I don't think what Jesus is saying, well, is, "Well, if you were a thief, what would you? How would you want treated?" I don't think that's what it means at all. Rather, it's this. Putting it this way, don't set limits on what you are willing to do for other people. Someone comes and begs your coat, don't say, well, I'll give you that, but that's it. We so often set limits. Somebody needs our money or our time, or our love, or our patience, or our care, or our forgiveness, and and we give it to them because we think that's what Christians should do, but we set a limit, don't we? There comes a point where we say, enough is enough. I have given enough, this far and no further. I've done my bit. It's someone else's turn. And there's a point that we come and we say, no. Jesus is saying to love isn't like that. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to risk being hit again. Yet we always say, I've done my bit, I've done enough. And when it becomes too much, too costly, too uncomfortable, we stop. But for us as Christians, this is a call to go beyond limits, to be willing to sacrifice in the way that we treat others. Why? Because that's how God Treated us. Jesus set no limits. Jesus didn't say, Well, I'll suffer the flogging and the beating, but not the cross. Jesus didn't say, I'll die for that one and that one, but not that one. It was God's unlimited love. And the third thing we can take from this passage is that what Jesus is calling to us to do is not normal. Verses 32 to 34 speak about if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that to those that love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. You see, what Jesus is calling us to do is something that's not normal. Most people have folk that they love. Most people are good to their friends. If you're not good to your friends, you'll soon have none. Most people will lend things and treat people well. But for most folk, there's a bit of quid pro quo. I'll treat you this way in my family because you treat me well. I'll, I'll spend time with you, my friends, because you're there when I need you. And therefore, I do things for other people in a relationship, but I do it with an expectation that I get something back. I will love you. If you love me, I will be faithful to you. If you are faithful to me, I will be there for you because you are there for me. I will spend time with you because I enjoy spending time with you and it makes me feel good. And we do all sorts of good things for one another on that basis, that we're getting something out of it. I enjoy your company, I enjoy this thing of service that I'm doing in the church or in the community. But what happens when it doesn't make me feel good? What happens when I get nothing out of it? What happens when it seems all take and no give? We draw the line. Jesus talking about a costly love where we may not be loved in return, where we may not be thanked in return, where we may not get back praise or results or a change in the other person. But that's what love is about because that's what Jesus did for us. Then this passage goes on with this. Love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back and your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Now, if we stopped there, which is where my mind stopped when I read it the first time, it seems to say this. Treat people extravagantly with love, and you'll get something back. You'll get a reward from God. That's why you should do it. If you want to be children of the Most High, if you want to be accepted by God, if you want to be loved by God, then do the things that make God happy. Earn the right to be the children of God. But now read it again. Your reward will be great and you will be the children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful And the wicked. That last part is really important because it tells us, yes, how we should act towards others, kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, but it also tells us this that's what God does for us. So it cannot be that God is saying, well, you can be my children if you do these things. So much as even if you don't, my love is for you that is ungrateful. My love is for you who are wicked. God's unconditional love is for us. And that begins to change everything. It's as if God himself comes and breaks this circle of animosity by beginning with his love for us. God doesn't look at me and say, I'll love you if you'll be my friend. I'll bless you if you bless me. I'll give to you if you go to church. I'll reward you if you obey me. God rather comes in grace in Jesus Christ and says, I will love you even when your love is weak. I will give to you Even when you give me nothing, I will forgive you, even when you don't deserve it. You see, this command that God gives us to love our enemies starts with him. This command to be merciful starts with his mercy. If we look to the book of Romans, for instance, it says this. While we were still God's enemies, God reconciled to us through the death of his son. He gave Jesus Christ for those who rejected him. He gave Jesus Christ for those who didn't deserve him. He gave Jesus Christ that they would not be his enemies anymore, but because of his love, they would be transformed. And it goes on, doesn't it? Just like we are called not just to give, but to give costly, to give recklessly. Romans 8 says... That the God who didn't spare his own son but gave him up will give us everything that we need in him. It all starts with God's costly, unconditional love. And when we grasp that, the circles are broken. For we are loved first, given first. God's love poured on us. Christ dying for us, and in that, the transformation that we might do likewise. I love the way that this ends. Verse 38. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. We measure things out, don't we? And sometimes we measure things out with a sort of, well, you can have that much. And sometimes we measure things out with a real generosity. And the call is for us to understand just how generous, recklessly generous God has been for us in giving his son. And then to be those for whom that love just pours out in how we treat other people. There are some folk in life who will go through life tight-fisted, protecting everything that they've got. And I'm left thinking, as Christians are like that, that they've got an image of God who isn't very generous to them, God who is very judgmental, God who is very mean, and therefore they become in themselves judgmental, mean people. Or we can grasp the greatness of the grace of the love. Of the reckless love of God, His open handed generosity to us. And suddenly, as we go from there, knowing our Father, being children of that God in His grace, then we go reflecting the mercy and love and grace of our Father. And as His love is poured into us so extravagantly, it pours through us that we might be children. Of our Father. Amen.